Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderveld, your host today. Welcome to this VPC live event. I'm Jerry Penny on behalf of the Victorian Parents Council. Tonight is the second part of our two-part series uh, with our special guest, Michelle Mitchell. And we're talking tonight about handling tricky friendships. The first night was a great event and we've extended it further with the conversation still going on tonight's topic. And tonight, Michelle will be interviewed by our regular host, Jackie Vanderbilt. Um, my name is Jackie Vanderveld. I'm uh, here with uh, the Victorian Parents Council to host this or in conversation um, for this VPC live event with Michelle Mitchell. So uh, I'm here with Michelle Mitchell. Michelle, welcome. Hello. I've got my chat working now. That's all good. Hey, hey. great to see you. Great to see everyone. I hope everyone's have a great day. Um, it's been a busy one. Yes. It's a busy day. So, look, I'm going to do the formal stuff to, to tell you who Michelle is if you haven't, haven't met Michelle before. Michelle is an award-winning speaker and best-selling parenting author. She has been termed the teenage expert by the media and is sought after for her compassionate and grounded advice for parenting tweens and teens. Michelle started her career as a teacher but soon discovered a special interest in well-being. She left teaching in 2000 to found Youth Excel, a boutique health promotion charity which delivers tailor-made life skills programs and psychological services to thousands of young people and their families. And today she uses her experience to write and speak in schools, to the to community events like us tonight, and through the media. And we welcome Michelle. So welcome back, Michelle. Oh, thanks for having me. I feel like part of the family now. A double appearance in a week. Well, we'll actually triple it. Well, double appearance in a week. This is actually your third time with us. So, you know, know. So quite, quite fun. And I'm rather, rather chuffed to be called off the reserve bench for tonight as well. So, and <laughs> so thanks, Faye, very much for, her, for stepping, in, uh, stepping in on uh, Tuesday night. So, Michelle, I think it might be useful, perhaps probably more so for me than anybody else, if you recap what you went through, what you talked through with uh, with uh, Faye on, on Tuesday. Okay. Now, you're going to be pushing my memory on this, but we did cover quite a bit of ground. And one of the things we talked about is the, the context that our kids walk into school in every day, especially when they hit 8, 9, 10 and up when they're getting those bigger, more overwhelming emotions, when they're becoming much more socially conscious. So they're very aware of what other people are thinking of them and where the social dynamics are at. And they're also prepared to take bigger risks for a social reward. So if you think of those three things and putting those together, and hundreds of kids together going through that at the same time, you've got some dynamics that are really, really challenging. Yeah, so it's a it's a fun time. I mean, I it can be a fun time. It can also be a very challenging time. Yeah. But some of the questions that have come through, and we've we've had a number of them come through as people have been registering, and I thought that might the flow might work. Actually, the flow works really nicely with the questions that have come through. Oh, when I looked at them tonight, I when I actually looked at them um, just before I got on, there was such a theme in them. So I think tonight is going to be really great. And I feel like I know where I want to head um, with answering them because there's, there's so much overlap in the questions tonight, which is going to be exciting. It will be good. 
So the first one is, can we talk about the context and where tweens and teens are at developmentally? Okay. What an interesting time. We know a lot more about what's going on. Inside of their brain, yeah. A lot of the... When I guess I touched on this before. So the changes that I talked about, which we're talking about becoming more self-aware and more self-conscious, um, willing to take bigger risks and having those big overwhelming emotions, which are very, very difficult for our tweens and teens to manage at times. Those three things are actually developmentally so normal. And we did touch on this last session, but it's just so important that parents realize that it's a season. So it's a developmental stage and our relationships with adults, hopefully, are nowhere near as dramatic as they were when we were younger. And so we really need to remember that the answer for 12 is 13, the answer for 13 is 14, and that's a saying from Nigel Ladder. But I just think it's just such a powerful thing to keep in the forefront of our minds when we're starting to feel like we're drowning with their emotions and thinking, oh, how long is this going to last? Is it going to last forever? Mm-hmm. So thinking about the dynamics of friendships and yeah. the brain and social development, what sort of things have changed? I mean, look, you know, everyone's an expert because we were all a teenager or a tween at some stage, right? Yeah. But things have changed dramatically, yeah. um, you know, in terms of the social pressures and the environment as well. And that's really delivering quite a different tween or teen it day. is. It's a new normal that our kids are living in. And if you think of that, the developmental things we talked about, but lay it on top of that. I think to me, two things stand out. We have this fast paced world where kids are not getting to disconnect and to unwind and they're quite highly strung and our statistics around anxiety show that. And the other thing is technology doesn't ever enable them to get away from the intensity of their you know friends big emotions and so that just keeps them on this rat race oftentimes and we have to be very mindful of that as parents i guess the whole managing of of their world online is a really big topic but it definitely overlays in this yes look i look i i agree (laughs) i agree completely um Dynamics, uh, so those are the dynamics. And so now we've got some really specific types of questions, I think, that yeah. people, that people so come into my office. It's a bit <laughs> like that. <laughs> Sit down. Let's have a chat. Do we have, do we have a couch? <laughs> yes. 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 Couch, please. Yes. Um, <laughs> so how do you let go? This is a question from, from a parent who's mm-hmm. really having, obviously having some struggles. How do you let? How do you? How do they help their girl, their their daughter, let go of a friend who doesn't really get along with the group without being mean or rude? This sounds like a question that a teenager would ask me rather than an adult would ask me. I could be wrong, and that if someone out there has asked this question, but it sounds the type of thing where a teenager would say, "There's this one kid in our group, and she's really annoying, and she's domineering, and she doesn't really get along. And how can I be kind but still tell her to move on?" And I actually learnt this from my own kids. So this is this is just something that came up along our journey through high school. My son would always say to me, Mum, that's what groups are for. Everyone should be welcome in the group. But that doesn't mean that our kids have to be best friends with those people. And so I think it's really important that our kids know that they are able to have a voice and they can say no to sleeping over at somebody's house or no to a party or no to that person coming to their house 
no to more private intimate relationships but recognize the power of groups for everybody and there was a down syndrome a boy who had down syndrome um in my son's school and a lot of the kids were pushing him out of their groups and my son had quite a you know was in a quite a big group who played sport every lunchtime and his group particularly made sure that boy was welcome and included in that group and it made for a diverse rich amazing group so the undertone of this question has that element of unkindness in it and it has that element of not having an understanding of the power of what groups can be um, and they're there to benefit everybody. So that's going to be a tough conversation and I think there's some real learning moments uh, for the person who asked that question yeah. about, you know, about more mature types of relationships and how to be a friend and and to um, you know, and to be inclusive. So, um, and the know. levels of relationship too, Jackie. Don't you think? Like recognizing that, you know, if you go to a workplace, you can't kick someone off the lunch table, but that doesn't mean you have to go out with them for dinner after work. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So the the so next question then is uh, I think you might have touched on it earlier in the week but it's come up it has come up again okay are some children just destined to always struggle with friendship oh this one actually yeah broke my heart because obviously a mum's looking on at her child and going this is just a repetitive cycle and are they always going to struggle and I've definitely seen some kids who don't have as many I guess social skills who struggle a bit more but I've often seen kids who get in a rut and a negative thinking around their own ability to have friendships and a negative um, sort of cycle at school with their reputations as well. And I think when kids are in this situation, it really takes those big caring adults to come into their lives and do what they need to do to try and break the cycle of things that can be broken. And whether that's help, getting some help with a psychologist or getting them into a group that teaches social skills or changing their schools, that can be a lifesaver for some kids as well. But it's the circuit breaker that they need at this time. And not all of it is, and, and part of this process too is socialisation, which we yeah. all go through. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting, I have similar conversations with, um, with parents who are saying, oh, well, you know, I don't want them to be, you know, having to change who they are to be part of a group. Yeah. And, and really, well, we all do, don't we? I mean, I know that I'm different, not radically different, but I know that I'm different with different people, you know, <laughs> with different, I'm different with my family, I... Um, you know, I'm a bit more proper on, on occasions like this, uh, but, other, but and, and I'm different with different groups of friends as well because you've got different history and you know that there are different sorts of boundaries. Yeah, and all of that's part of that socialisation. So, you know, it's not always being sad about things. Sometimes it's just being different with different groups of people. And there's a, a sifting that comes with belonging. So when we belong to a group, we get three things. We get acceptance validation and an ability to process our emotions with people that we feel like know us and hear us but we also get this heightened awareness of what makes us unique as well and our friend might be very sad about something and we're not like just take puberty and girls for example they can have all different feelings about puberty and girls get this 
heighten awareness of who they are when they compare themselves to other kids in the group. And those moments are really eye-opening moments for our kids to discover ourselves. But groups also knock off their, or friendships, knock off the edges, <laughs> don't they? They do. They yeah, do. like marriage does. <laughs> well, like life, really. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's important too that, you know, they, that there are conversations, you know, when these little, I suppose, disruptions and hiccups happen, um, so that you can you can speak to you, you can have that conversation with you with your child and say, well, you know what, you know, sometimes you just have to be the bigger person and and ignore it or learn. What from can it we or, learn? What can we learn from it? Yeah, there's an ability I feel like we've lost these days, and it's to be gracious with each other. And I feel like, you know, when someone gives you grace in a situation, it's undeserved favour, isn't it? It's, it's, you didn't do anything. It's just because they wanted to give that to you. And this ability to be gracious with each other, even in our homes, you know what it does? It says, I'm not going to put the bar so high that you can't reach it. I'm not going to put my love on such a condition and the bar so high. And, and we often say in our home, oh, that sounds like a human being. <laughs> they make mistakes, they get annoying, they get in our space. But in those moments where we recognize each other's humanity, it's actually a beautiful skill to be able to say, you know what, and, and, and that's okay. We're all human beings. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so here's a tough one. <laughs> okay, what is okay. it? Um, what okay. do you do when your child says or has that realisation that I think I've been dumped? I love this one and, and <laughs> love it. Whoever asked this, thank you. Because this, this cuts to the core of actually everything we've already talked about tonight. I have this saying that says there's ideal and then there's real. And so many times in our kids' lives and in our lives, let's be really honest, we have this ideal of what friendship should look like. So the ideal is that we have a best friend and very few kids actually go through school with this, this ideal best friend. The, the ideal that is that people want to sit with us at lunchtime, the ideal is that we get invited to the parties, but the real, the real is that there's rejections and there's disappointments. And the price we pay for connecting with other people is there are going to be times where we experience that deep rejection and that deep disappointment. And what I don't want this mum to do is to try and make a girl happy or boy happy or sweep it under the carpet or sidestep it or jump over it. There is such a gift in being able to actually sit next to children in this moment and really validate that this is what it's like to be a human. This is the human experience and getting rejected and hurt is really tough. But in order for our kids to say, what's next and that's exactly the mindset we want that's a resilient mindset this hurts but what next we actually have to really fully allow them to sit in that hurt and then from that point of really accepting reality they can then ask them what sells what's next and look for joy in other places that's a, that's lovely advice and i think that you know when i was looking at this i'm thinking do they mean dumped as in a romantic relationship could be. yeah know? it could be and I suppose that's something that we have to be, you know, awake to and, you know, and accepting of too is, you know, they're, that, that even though they are young. They're going to get their little heart broken. Babies, they're going to get oh, their no. heart broken. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but I think too there's that, um, you know, it's the feeling of being 
you know, dumped or left behind by, you know, someone who you thought was your best buddy. Yeah, it hurts, hurts. Mm, But parents, you know what? Home's the hero. Home's the overarching stability. And unfortunately, and not so unfortunately, but our kids are going to come across a lot of experiences that really do sting. And in those moments, the most beautiful thing is for them to have this stable place to come home to and this consistency of love. And there's no better gift we can ever give a child. Exactly. And that's, uh, you know, and and parents have that, you know, as Debbie Pusher says, that authentic parent knowledge. um, Yes. You know know your child better than anybody else. Absolutely. And support them. And you don't want to rush that process, that depth of feeling they need to feel either, because that's actually where resilience is built. It's sometimes in the grief and the process of grief that we really search for joy in other places. And I feel like in this modern day and age, we are quick to fix and we don't want our kids to be unhappy. And we do worry about them when we look at them and we don't see them like bouncing back tomorrow. And this stuff takes time. And if it does, and if it is taking a little bit longer than you think it should. Yeah, good things take time. They do take time. They they really do. I think sometimes we look at children and, you know, we read books or we hear things on podcasts and we think our kids should be, you know, bouncing back quicker and thriving in the midst of adversity. And really, that's not often, you know, reality. This stuff takes time to learn and we need to be really patient with the process. That's right. And I think that the desire parents have for things to be easier and better <laughs> than they perhaps had it, you know, you want you want yeah. better for your children. So, but, but, you know, we are, we're kind of wired a certain way. It does take time, these lessons. Uh, okay, so the next one. <laughs> Yes. How do we stir social conscience in our kids? Oh, I love this whole concept of our kids having social conscience because I feel like inside of all of them is this empathy and this, even if it's in small form, is this awareness and this kindness ready to be drawn out and when my son went through school he had a friend called father well they his name was dave but all the kids started nicknaming him father dave and i don't think it was because you know like he wasn't religious i i don't know if they were calling him a dad or a father but father dave had this role um at school that he would encourage people but he would also take them aside for a kind of chat grade 12 formal came and all the kids gave this um young man the father dave award now father dave was captain of the rugby team but he had this massive social conscience and i know my son got a hundred runs at cricket one week and father dave organized for all the kids to line up at the front of school on monday morning and literally clap my son into school for getting his century at cricket and i look at kids like that and somehow they've been able to tap into that social conscience which gives them the strength at times to almost stand alone in it and to be that leader in in challenging times and i think the baseline of empathy with our kids is actually modeling it ourselves and talking it and just stirring it like a pot in their lives. So it just makes them aware of what's going on around them. And no greater time than the last few months that we've been through, recognizing that everyone has experienced this so, so differently and helping them really walk in the shoes of other people is powerful. 
Oh, look, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that parents have that unique position to help their children, you know, scan for social kindness, you know, do, and, yeah. and to, to observe, be those, be an observer and say, and go people watching mm-hmm. and, and ask them, you know, be that, be the, you know, the ask the curious questions, you know, what do you think is going on there? Yeah. Why do you think that is happening? You know, uh, so much of, uh, I think we've lost a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, just in simple things like standing back in a queue. Well, now we all have to stand back in queues, right? We're all <laughs> going to be 1.5 metres away from each other. We and, and there are X's on the ground to make sure that you do. Um, but there used to be, but it used to be that people would wait and stand back and let somebody yeah. go before them and uh, that they would wave people, we'd wave, someone would wave you into the traffic and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, or, or they would offer you help, you know, if they looked that you looked like you were struggling um, yeah. to balance something, balance kids and shopping trolleys right. and whatever, people would actually stop and offer to help you. And, and that I points to this, much, yeah. I know, and this, that points to that idea of that's what groups are for we belonged to communities you know we we you know we saw another woman with a baby and we were their tribe and we went out of our way to you know help them steer the pram or you know make way for them or whatever it be entertain their kid while they paid for the shopping it's that sense of belonging to something that actually gives you that capacity i think to to look out for each other and unless we you know, actually are, are quite deliberate in doing that as parents with their children. Uh, you know, they're not going to get enough of that from necessarily from other people, are they? Our kids watch us and they notice these things. And I think when I think about resilience and how in practical terms it was built around my life, I, I, I watched my father go through a lot of difficult times but carry other people at the same time. And I think just that concept of knowing that it's not just about us and actually there's so much strength inside of our kids, in fact, enough strength to carry more than their load at times. Oh, no, that's, that's, a, that's important. Um, but also too, you know, we've got this, uh, there's a pervading thought <laughs> within society that you hear, what are schools doing about this? What are schools doing about, you know, yeah. some other new social problem or something that's emerging. Yes. And uh, we've kind of abrogated our responsibilities as parents to some degree without, you know, which I, I find a little bit scary. Tell you what, good teachers are doing a darn lot about this. The, the practices and the rituals and the routines they've got in their classrooms, they're creating a sense of belonging for kids and, and an opportunity for them to practice leadership and kindness and, and gratitude. And we're much more aware of this than we ever are before. So I feel like academically and from a perspective of what kid teachers are offering families, there has never been a greater time for that. Which is, which is great. So parents need to latch on to that a bit more. <laughs> A bit more. Do what, you, do what you're doing, but do more of it. <laughs> um, so we've got another, an interesting question here. Okay. Yes. Uh, how to get your daughter to open up and talk about issues that are happening and worrying her? Mm-hmm. She won't talk. She just shuts down. Yeah. Okay. I, we, we did talk about this question last session, but I'm so glad it came up again because I, I was actually thinking about it before and this whole real and ideal really plays into this. 
I get the sense that sometimes we as adults decide that the best next step for our kids is to open up and talk and that somehow that that's going to be the magical turning point for them. And I, I want this mum or parents just to take a step or two or three back and recognize there might be actually two or three steps before that, before this child talks. And that's actually pretty powerful because I think we need to actually make sure we are sitting exactly where our kids are at um, with the intention of moving forward, but recognizing when we're validating where they're at and we're right in that moment of not wanting to talk, we might be able to better reflect what they're feeling. And it might sound a little bit more like this. It might sound like, um, yeah, it's really hard to find the words right now, isn't it? And then stop talking. Don't push, don't be needy, just be in that moment. And I actually think when you're with young people in that moment and don't try and move them out of that moment too quickly, before too long, you'll be able to both ask together what's next. And next might be a conversation or next might be doing something together. But it's having that patience to be here first. And we want to fine tune our kids ears to their own inner voice, not to other people's voices and not even just to our voice. We want to actually be able to draw out of them what they think their best next step is. And that can that can take time and it can ask take patience and it can take us asking the right questions and leaving a big gap until they're ready to answer them as well. I think that that's a really important point. That's a, that's a really good, just a good lesson in life and conversations anyway, you know, is that we feel, particularly if you've come from an education background like you and I, we feel we have to fill the space all the time. You know, that if we do. If there's, you know, if someone hasn't answered straight away, we sort of feel we've got to jump onto it. Or um, teach them. Let's teach them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think that that, that silence and, and which is also actually, it's not just a giving them space. It's actually honoring their, uh, their thought processes. It really is. Exactly. Remembering they're having trouble at this age and stage to actually reach into their prefrontal cortex and get the language that describes how they're feeling. So it's probably a lot of stress and a lot of pressure for them to reach into those spaces. The other thing sometimes we can fall into trap of doing as parents is coming across too needy. And it's a real turn off for teenagers particularly. Is there any parents of teenagers out there? You know what I'm saying? Like you come across like you want to talk to them too much and it's like really off-putting. So we've sometimes got to reverse psychology that a little bit and, you know, just not care quite so much. Just flip it off a little bit more. That, that's, yes, I, I wish I'd sort of had discovered that point earlier on <laughs> might have might have now now much older <laughs> but that would have been would have been handy to know and i think that, that it, it, it feels needy to them oh it does practice, in fact but parents are doing it from a good place you know oh we, we love them yeah, i remember right. asking my son jackie what can i do to help you during exam time and he said just don't talk so much mum <laughs> Like, give, give me some room to breathe. Oh, I think that's a particular thing between mothers and sons, in you know, yeah, that we, we do try and talk too much. I always, I've always wondered too, Michelle, asking the sort of, asking the right sort of question, you mentioned yeah. that before, 
and there's yes there is the silent piece which is essential <laughs> but there's also asking the question about what is it that you would like to have happen yeah. so what do you where do you want to be what would you like to have happen how would you like to feel yeah. um uh, and that's a difficult question to answer and might take several goes. Yeah. And there's a whole range of questions we can add to that. Should we do that? Like um, what options are you considering? What information are you missing? What do you think would be a really wise next step for you? Because sometimes in our advice giving, what we're actually doing is rushing things way into the future, like two, three steps down the track, but it's helping kids just look that one bit ahead. Um, you know, so I've, yeah, what, what can I, what information are you missing? And what do you need to do next? Yeah, what so what information are you missing? What, what next step can you take? Um, what options are you considering? You know, what have you tried that hasn't worked? Yeah. And so I think too, you know, that when often when you ask these questions, this is a very common response to lots of questions that you might be asking your teenager <laughs> is, I don't know. And, yeah. and I'm, I always say I don't know doesn't mean I don't know. I don't know means yeah. um, I've never had to think about this before. Give me a bit more time and space to think. They normally think about it when you're not there. And I talk about teenagers like a book. They've got a cover and they've got an inside story. And sometimes they're only prepared to show you what they want you to see. And it, it don't find the moment, don't force the moment is something else I say. Because so oftentimes parents want to get right into the inside story, into the depths of their kid's heart. And at that moment, they just want to show them the cover and maybe the first page. And so it's just that patient, patient process and recognizing that you don't have to have all the information to know how to parent. And in fact, sometimes you're best not having all the information. <laughs> you're best off relying on your gut. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, so and have a good laugh, really. I mean, just um, just be patient. Be pa and the thing is, too, asking those questions doesn't necessarily, um, it's not going to be harmful, right? No. So it, just getting them to think is is uh, is important and getting them to come to arrive at their own decision and their own solution so they don't feel like it's something that's being imposed on them. And I often say too that sometimes our kids just don't need to talk themselves into it. Like they don't need us to talk them into it, but they need to talk themselves into it. And that can actually take, like you're saying, a few conversations and it's just getting those cogs turning. Exactly. So here's the next one. What's the best way to handle friends who are in an exclusive relationship and there's jealousy when one seeks the friendship with someone else, um, how to deal with that drama? Mm, man. And this is a drama and it's a big thing that a lot of families experience. And there is no black and white easy solution for some of these things because relationships are complex and our kids, um, they're finding their way through them and they're discovering what they need but also how they want to meet those needs. And I think a thread through these questions is a, a, a lot of the parents who put these in, they're recognising that their kids are getting something from this process but it's not a healthy way to get that need met. And so this is life learning for them. And not only do we want them to recognize their needs, but we want them to recognize the healthiest, best place to get those needs met. So a lot of this, this kind of behavior is driven by fear and it's 
driven by the fear of being excluded. And two things, helping our kids understand the power of diversity of friendships is really, really important. And second thing is this, until our kids are prepared to stand alone, they will always get knocked around by situations like this. And it is the scariest, most difficult thing for young people to step away from a pack or from an unhealthy relationship and stand alone. But the moment they do, it breaks the power of that thing. And oftentimes that's the moment where they're able to attract healthy friendships. So is, it, is that sort of thing more common with girls or have you, do you see it with boys as well? It's, I guess stereotypically it's more common with girls, but I see pockets of boys that this dynamic really plays into as well. So it is not just girls at all. Um, okay, so next one, <laughs> which is, uh, this is this is a tough one because I've, I've lived this with my own children and it's uh, a bit tricky. So what, uh, so when good friends go bad, so it's their best buddy and mm. they're, Mm. This, this young person's heading down a track, and you can see the train. You can see the train wreck up ahead. Yeah. yeah. Um, but your your child is still very loyal as a friend, and mm -hmm. and doesn't want to give that friendship up. And some of this can play out for years. Let's be real. Exactly. It absolutely can. Because the more you've invested into a relationship, the harder it is to let go and the harder it is to move on. The first thing we need to do is batten down the hatches and recognize what home is the hero. Home is the overarching stability in our kids' lives. And remind yourself that even if they do have a, a year that's rocky or even two years that's rocky with their relationships, if home is consistent in the background, the chances of them riding through that eventually are 100% there, okay? Now, I think there's time and place for parents to have really honest, straight discussions about relationships or anything that's unhealthy or unsafe for their kids. And while we can't control who our kids hang around with, you know, outside of the home and whatever, we can be really honest with them about that. And oftentimes though, and I love the, I love the end of this question because my question backward, will you be able to steer them <laughs> or is this the ideal? <laughs> because in those moments, our kids can be often quite blinded by the whole thing. And the thought that we can sort of steer that is sometimes very unrealistic. What we can do is sow seeds and we can remain consistent in their life. And the beauty of that is when kids come to a point where they recognize something's not working, they have the option of standing alone and when they do or moving away and giving that relationship space. And that's one of the things I'd talk to young people about, trying to not necessarily break the relationship, try and give it space somehow. So if you normally sit with them five days a week, sit with them three or, you know, just try and let it breathe. Um, but the moment they're prepared to stand alone, home is going to have to step up and just provide that little bit of reinforcement for them because it's a scary time. How important, Michelle, is um, when you're having those steering conversations? Yes, I like that. <laughs> steering <laughs> conversations. Yes. To be, um, to be respectful of the child, of the, the friend who's going bad. Um, yeah. 
because I can see that your 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 child would mm-hmm. any criticism of that other person would be yeah. seen as a criticism of your yeah. your child and the choices that they've made as in the friendship as well. And we're modeling what we talked about earlier, which is this graciousness that human beings can be human, <laughs> very human at times. But we're looking at it, but we also want our kids not to be able to just put themselves in the shoes of everyone in the room, but actually be able to firm, stand firmly in their own shoes and make decisions that's actually right and best for their lives. So that's the, the capacity to say no, the capacity to give a relationship space that isn't healthy, the capacity to protect who you are while be kind to others is a really big balance in life, isn't it? So we're modeling empathy, we're modeling kindness, and we're modeling graciousness, but we are also modeling truth. We are also modeling what's just and right, and we're also helping them set boundaries because relationships are only as strong as the boundaries that we've got around them. Yeah. And, and good judgment <laughs> with, with, with any luck if you're steering them the right way. Yeah. Um, so if I suppose the next one's related, the next question's related to that one in a, in, a, in a sense. So if you're observing your tween being manipulated, so... Yeah. Uh, you can see that they're, yeah. you know, they're, 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 and they may be confusing that manipulation with attention in a friendship. Yes. And tweens are classic for this, Jackie. This is a classic tweens thing. I was talking to a mum a little while ago on the phone and she'd actually taken her child to a counsellor because of a, a relationship that she was involved with at school that, that was very, and by manipulator we're saying, you know, you can't go and play with that other person because you're my friend and um, even and then belittling them. So like hot, cold, frenemy kind of stuff. That's what we're talking about. So her mum took her to a counsellor and they had worked on her social skills and trying to kind of fix this relationship. And I said to this mum, that's an awful lot of pressure to put on a 10-year-old girl of something that she can't control. And the more powerful place to put our attention is in what we can control and the choices we can make. And I think this whole concept, like we talked about, very related to the other question, is the capacity for our our kids to give a relationship space without feeling like they have to totally break ties with somebody. And they're oftentimes worried about how that person's going to feel or, you know, how that person will cope without them. And it's very kind of codependent and they're overly invest in that person without anchoring their feet in their own life. So that, you know, there's some big conversations, you know, 60%, well, a research article I read the other day, 60% of parents worry about their kids' friend choices. That's, that's a big a, number. That's a huge number. That's yeah. a huge number. Is there a difference in these behaviours between boys and girls? Yeah, I think there is. I think boys are a lot more upfront about it. And I think boys are a lot more easygoing. What boys tend to do, though, is is um, dig at each other through banter, which can actually be very hurtful. But I find with boys, if they have some common ground, so they can play football together or they can do something together, there's, there's always a group that they're a part of. And that actually saves kids being isolated. So uh, you know the boy. The fact that boys are more likely to be playing sport at lunchtime always enables something to be happening. Now, not all boys are into sport, but you know what I'm saying. It's just that common ground. With girls, their words, there's too much of them. <laughs> 
I mean, honestly, and the divisiveness and the back talk and especially around exam time when they're all getting tired and everything gets really catty, that can get really intense. And I know a lot of boys watch on and go, my gosh, what is wrong with them? You know, <laughs> because it's almost like they're creating drama. More drama. Yeah. Yeah, but, but doing it on purpose because it's feeding that big emotional need that they have. So to stop the manipulation, yeah. because I think because once that happens, it can fall into a, they can fall into a really big trap of they can. continually allowing themselves and, be, and, and, and being that cycle. Sometimes it might take some fairly drastic action from a parent to, to step in if it's, if it's really damaging him. Yeah. Yeah, and even like uh, teenagers who might be, you know, have a boyfriend or a girlfriend that's very manipulative. I mean, my mind's going to a few different scenarios at the moment where that was a real thing. And just remember, parents, the line is safety and schools are there for you to partner with them. And there is more power in two adults working towards a child's greatest good than there is one child, one parent or one adult. And so those conversations sometimes with the safe, helpful adults in their life that are a little bit like guardrails are really important. And it's really important for our, our children to know that we're on their team, yeah? yeah. That, we're cheer, that we're cheering from the sidelines or the curious observer, but also too ready to step in if we, if we really have to. And I think that safety issue, if you think it's not safe parents, that's the, yeah. that's the call to action, yep. <laughs> yeah, I've often said to my kids, I'm your parent, not everyone else's, you know. So this might disadvantage somebody else, but you're my, you're, you're my responsibility, you know. <laughs> exactly. So, Michelle... Yes, you've got, a, you've got a book. You've got a book. Oh, I do. I do. And yes. this is only if people are looking for something for their eight to twelve-year-olds. Although I had a beautiful mum message me, and she said I bought it for my fourteen-year-old, knowing it was for eight to twelve, and she's taken it to school, and it's a big hit with her friends. <laughs> I thought that was beautiful. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So here we go. Tricky friendship days. Lots of stuff on meanness and and gossip and pushing back with truth which we covered last time and lots of activities in there for them but it's just putting in language they can understand right. and there is a parent book too so this is the book for parents everyday resilience helping kids handle friendship drama academic pressure and self-doubt and and you know they kind of work as a team so kids can be working with the journal and learning and if parents want to read they can read the other one so some good conversation starters in there too. So I've had a little bit of a flick around. So uh, some good some good language to help you help you get started with some of those challenging conversations. And I know that we've spoken about some of them tonight, but uh, uh, in more depth, uh, there's some there's some terrific gems in there. So and they can be found on your website too, Michelle. Yeah, they can. MichelleMitchell.org. Is there any questions from parents? Is there any way to address name calling? Yes. Okay. Right. Right, Kathy. Name calling and boys are, oh, and they are shockers. First of all, boys cannot recognise, or they're not always aware of how hurtful these names actually are. They can be very oblivious emotionally, boys sometimes, and they can be calling someone fat or you know a range of other things, and they can really not understand, not fully understand the damage they call. With girls, it's normally quite deliberate. And intentional also boys to girls yes calling them fat okay yes all right the strategy I talk about 
in the book because normally the person doing the name calling is more dominant, you know, is a bit more of a uh, dominant kind of member of the group or the grade or whatever it be. Sometimes kids need to learn some short, sharp, little snappy statements just to push back with truth. It's not pushing back with meanness. It's not pushing back with um, being unkind. It's actually pushing back with truth. Um, and humor goes a long way as well. And humor mixed with those things. Um, I worked with a little girl a while ago and, and her friends were calling her fat. Now she was quite young and she was getting quite upset about it. And I said to her, honey, what's some truth that you can push back with? And this young girl, she actually was a little bit overweight. I wouldn't have called her, you know, but she was a little bit overweight. And so for her to say, I'm not fat, just, you know, and I said, okay, tell me, push back with truth, you know? And she said, well, I said, what are you, what are you good at? And she said, well, I'm good at swimming, you know? And so we talked through that and we found some little statements to her. And one of the things she said amongst a few things is she said, I, I don't think that's very nice for you to be saying, do you? And so she was pushing back and setting a boundary. Um, and she, she would also say, I'm actually a really nice person, you know, like, and it actually did work and it empowered her, but they often need a lot of practice for it as well. No, well, that's good. So I've got another one here. My daughter is 13 and she keeps telling me that she doesn't like people. Oh, sweetheart. Not I, have I have days like that too, <laughs> don't I? <laughs> um, she doesn't like getting involved yeah, in all the drama of the girls at yes. school. Yep, and I, and I worry about her not being overly involved with friends and prefers mm -hmm. to stay most of her time, spend most of her time alone, yeah. even on school holidays. Is this yeah. thing to worry about? She might not have as high a social need as other kids have. Um, and there could be an element of anxiety in this too, where she's felt the sting of relationships. They come at a cost. They do, you know, and she's like, it's just not worth it, you know. And so for a young lady like this, structured social activities where there is some safety around them with an adult there are actually going to go a long way from her. So, so Kathy, for her, she's 13. So the, the, the issue with 13-year-olds is they tend to want to pull out of sports. They want to pull out of group things. And that's just the nature of their age. But if she's not socializing naturally, I would really, really encourage you to try and keep some group settings around that because they're, they are safer environments. Now, I've known some girls like this that actually have, you know, been in tears before dance, but then gone to dance and loved it and it's okay after that. So it's getting them over some of these concerns that they have, but it's easier to keep a stone rolling if it's moving. If it completely stops, then that's when it's often quite difficult to get them socialising again. And that's why I'm suggesting, you know, just keep some structure there. And that's where sport and other sorts of yeah. activities can become so important. Um, so just... Uh, yeah, here so we go. You know, <laughs> yeah. just arrived from overseas. It's a common one, a yeah. School. Yes. My tween is quite shy and has found it hard to break into the established friendship groups. Yes. She also doesn't tell me very much, uh, if anything, or tell me if anything is wrong. So hard to keep track and it really isn't really, so it isn't really sporty. Yeah. Um, school prefers to hang out with her younger yeah. sister. Okay. I don't yet know many parents, so it's hard to know how to support her social development. How old is she, Carolyn? Can I have an age just to give me a bit of an idea? Because if she was... 
Yeah, okay. So she's let's let's say she's almost ten. Okay. Yes. All right. So she's shy. She's finding it hard to break into established friendship groups. Yeah. All right. Now, with girls like this, when I have worked with girls like this, one of the questions I ask them is, are they boring? And, and they always smile and laugh at me. And I get away with it a lot more than you will, mum. So don't, maybe you use that line, but I will. And I tell you why I ask them this is so often times they're actually pulling back to the place where no one's got the chance to get to know them and they're not getting involved enough for people to know them. And I asked them how much they talked at lunchtime. You know, they might have sat with people, but did they say anything? And being able to give our kids something fun to talk about on Monday morning, do something on the weekend that gives them something fun to talk about on Monday morning, actually can be pretty priceless for them at school. I'd encourage girls like this to get involved with as many things as possible they can at school, um, as many groups, as many clubs, as many activities, because that's where the life's going to be. Have you seen her teacher? And this is another thing, you know, like in a situation like this where you've just come from overseas and there's a lot of dynamics happening. Yeah. Was she helpful? Was there any help with that? I love having a little conversation here. Did you get much love with the teacher? So not yeah, she's trying out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to, it sounds like it is going to take some time, but the trick is two things, trying to give her like is encouraging her to participate and that's something probably her teacher is going to be able to do even more than you in the wings of things mm -hmm. keep home as stable as possible as stable as possible and trust okay put put your concerns and that love and that connection with your girl up your connection time with her plus do all the practical things plus trust that inside of that kid is the capacity to get through this and that's the and I think too, um, Carolyn, don't put too much pressure on yourself just in these times at the moment when opportunities for socialising are probably um, a little bit uh, light on. So yeah. yeah, take yeah take the pressure off absolutely. And you know how Jackie we talked about earlier, like sometimes we look at our kids and they're going through a hard time and we don't see them flourishing and we don't see them bouncing back and we don't see them taking these big risks. Maybe just. Carolyn to encourage you that it's going to take time and that's okay it is okay and maybe just lower the bar for just a minute here just to give this little one a, a chance to find a feet exactly and and you know at home at, at home being at home and being with a little sister is actually that's okay too <laughs> I mean, you know that's a you know that's a lovely lovely thing to keep encouraging as well because um no, you won't. Some parents would kill for that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but not not to not to uh, not to take away from your concerns. But uh, I think just take it take it slowly. That's for sure. Um, and give her little 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 um, little steps. You know, little opportunities to make mix and meet with other other people would be would be helpful. Um, so I think we're in the absence of anyone else. Tap tap tapping away. I think we've actually probably. Oh, here we go. Drama. Here we go. <laughs> just wants to. <laughs> just too wants much, to help. Too much uh, mouth moving, Heather. Is it? Well, oh, I, I love think, it. I don't think she loves the drama. She probably feels that she's she's needs to get oh. involved. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me let me pull up a page in my book just for you. Okay, because this is so fun. The girls love this. They all when they meet me, they all tell me about this page. 
Hang on, where is it? Here we go. Don't be a drama llama. So you might have to have a little bit of a joke with her, a running commentary, a running little bit of a code word joke um, and just, you know, you're just going to have to laugh your way through it a little bit. But you'd say, you being a drama llama again, you know, what's she getting out of it, Heather, too? Is, it, is, she, is she attention seeking? Is she, that's our motto in this house. That's awesome. And just keep it up. Believe it or not, it will sink in one day. It really will. But look, if you've got a girl, especially who has a big drive for attention, we're talking about helping them find healthy ways to get that need met. So, you know, sports, dance, anything you can do besides the drama would be a great place to channel us. Some kids have just got extra spunk, Jackie. They just do. All the extra energy. And I think, too, they've got to be careful, too, that they don't get overwhelmed by some of the drama that's going on as oh, well. Oh, yeah. it is very overwhelming for them, because especially exam it. time when they've got other stuff going on and then a big friendship thing blows up and they've got an exam tomorrow. Or... And Ellie's six-year-old is having a few friendship troubles at school. She's been friends with two other girls for about 18 months and one of the girls is possessive of the other friend. Mm. My daughter doesn't say much, but it is troubling her a bit more than usual. I've approached the mother before very gently but found resistance, which was expected. Should I try and talk to the parent again or should I talk to the school? Yeah, I wouldn't talk to the parent. It never goes well. I've stopped watering that down for parents and I'm just telling them plain No, don't. If a parent needs to be talked to, it always warrants involving a teacher anyway. For the most part, exclusively parent your own child and not everybody else's. And I think the moment you start giving other parents insights and advice into their child, it doesn't go well. And unfortunately, it backfires. What I would do is probably involve a teacher and then if that teacher feels like that teacher needs to talk to the parent then that's the way to go with it and when she's sick she's six and this is very actually it's very about year one is that right lisa she's grade one it's very common in year one um it, it really is the kindergarten she's kindy yeah i taught grade one years ago and it was something that every year in some dynamic we actually faced in some way um and realize lisa life's a long time for this little one okay and the the experiences and the things that she's going through now are actually important lessons for her i find that the beautiful thing about kindergarten and grade one is they can get really heartbroken with their friendships but they do move on and work through them a little bit easier when they're older so get a teacher's help when she's that little and i i wouldn't go directly to the parent no i I would i would agree with that having seen it not end well Um, and it's good. I mean, teachers can be, you know, those, those other significant adults in your children's life can take a, a bit of a step back and not be as emotionally involved. But uh, parents will always lead with their heart, and not necessarily with their head. So it's better to stay out of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, I think we're, we're just about on time, Michelle. So thank you. Thank you for all the late entries to the, uh, to the questions. That was, that was awesome having everybody putting it in. Oh, thank you. Figured out as much. Good on you, Lisa. That's that's great. Um, yeah, I think it's it's very sound advice you've you've been given tonight. So, um, work on that one. Um, love to know how you how you get on. All the best. Uh, look, thank you so much for your time, Michelle, and thank you everyone who's on tonight. 
Uh, it's been a lover, lovely conversation. Um, it's been a first to me. I've never been on a Facebook Live live before, so I'm slightly mortified that my children might have seen me. <laughs> my kids wouldn't be watching me. Uh, they don't, well, they don't know what I do most of the time when I'm talking to people at night on, on webinars and that sort of thing. <laughs> so now could I think be I'm worse. Like, it could be worse. It, uh, so they're probably mortified and they'll probably unfriend me. Oh, how, how horrible. Anyway, look, thank you so much, everybody. And Michelle, awesome speaking with you again. <laughs> hey, thank you. Lots of love. Bye. Good night, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you to our guest host, Faye Waterman, and to our regular host, Jackie Vandervelt, for a great two sessions with Michelle Mitchell on handling tricky friendships. If you'd like to hear more from Michelle Mitchell, she's scheduled to be a guest again on VPC Live on Thursday, the 23rd of July at 7.30pm. We hope that you can join us then. Bye for now. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? Please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sydney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.